Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are looking forward today as a live show to talking to you again. Uh, I hope you will write down our number and give us a call. It is 979, for those of you listening outside the area, uh, 845-5689, 979-845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. That's gardensuccess, one word, at tamu.edu. Well, I tell you, we finally had some cold weather. We've got some burned plants that are a little freeze sensitive out there in the landscape. Uh, and as a result, uh, it's about time to go in and, and start, uh, you know, cleaning up the beds a little bit when things have been frozen back, uh, getting all that debris out of there just for aesthetics. It's not that important uh, to the plants themselves, but uh, getting that material out of there so that you can uh, have a, a nice fresh start and beds look good. Put a little mulch on top of them. Winter weeds have been germinating. They're going to continue to germinate. Uh, so we want to make sure that, you know, there's, there's um, uh, plenty of a mulch cover over the top because mulch is what keeps us from having weed problems. And we definitely want to not have weed problems. Uh, I um, was getting some mulch materials together the other day. Uh, when I say that, it means basically mowing the lawn with a grass catcher. Uh, normally, I don't use a grass catcher, but for this time of year, I sure do because uh, we need to be able to capture all those leaves and use them in our lawn. And by mowing and capturing them, you actually um, you chop them up a little bit. And, you know, regular leaves are just going to blow all over the place. It's fine to use them. The forest is... Mulch, mulched with unchopped leaves, of course. But uh, in order to have them stay placed in the bed, just hitting them with a lawnmower to knock out a little bit of the, uh, you know, the size, break that, break them down a little bit, makes them stay in place a lot better. And I, so I try to do that. Uh, the um, uh, mulch that we use primarily is our lawn, our lawn leaves. Um, uh, depending on the kind of tree you have, that can be some pretty large leaves or small ones. But uh, any kind of leaf you want to put down as a mulch is good. Uh, it's also okay to use grass clippings. Of course, we're not producing clippings now. Uh, but I generally mulch with only about an inch of grass clippings at a time. If you have a whole lot, you know, real deep, thick um, grass clipping mulch, it can get kind of moldy. And, and if it doesn't get oxygen, it starts to smell, especially if it's been sitting in a bag. Uh, but anyway, we want to want to try to avoid 
uh, those kind of odors. And so just, I would say just maybe an inch at a time and, and they'll be fine. Well, let's go to, to the phones. We already have some callers online. Uh, let's go to Roger first. Hello, Roger. Hello there, and Happy New Year to you, Skip. Well, thank you, sir. What's um, up? Well, my question is uh, about uh, cutting back. Um, I've got verbena, and I've got uh, Mexican petunias, uh, believe it or not. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the last uh, frost, of course, made them, in, made them all into sticks. And my question is, is that I don't want to cut them if it's if they're going to start growing again, and then we have another frost, and and they get, and the buds get get uh, uh, damaged. So, what do you think mm-hmm. there? Yeah, it, you know, if it's truly killed back to the ground, it's okay to go ahead and cut them. Uh, there are some plants that they're a little bit sensitive, and you, we never know what kind of winter we're going to have. Of course, last winter taught us that, and so there is somewhat of an advantage of leaving dead top growth for a super sensitive plant because it sort of acts as a, a mulch. It, it gives a little bit of protection uh, for the base of that plant. Uh, there are, I, I would, in my own yard, I go ahead and cut them off and then I mulch so that it looks good. And I don't have to look, cannas are a good example. We have some cannas and you know they're sticking up and they're ugly as I'll get out right now from having frozen back. So I'm gonna take those out and mulch myself, but that would be the only advantage of leaving it. Uh, you're not going to spur growth by cutting out dead growth. Okay, that's that's a quick answer and just what I was uh, looking for. So I can go ahead yeah. and, and 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 do it. Yeah, you said Mexican petunia, right? You had some. Oh, I got a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you <laughs> if you've had them for a year, you've got lots. This, this is the one with the purple blooms. That's a taller plant that you're that's, talking about. I got a lot of them in my in my yard. I kind of cultivate them. They they volunteer. Uh, we used to have some at another office I was in, and uh, I saw them popping up uh, about 25 feet away from the old clump on the other side of a sidewalk. And we finally figured out with a good rain, uh, those seeds will wash all the way down the sidewalk and off to the side, and they're coming up in all kinds of places. So <laughs> it's an enthusiastic plant. Yes, indeed. And verbena is a about the same too, and I've got <laughs> two big verbena bushes. Oh wow! Okay, well, in, enjoy it. It's uh, there. There are beautiful plants to have. Yes, they are. Thank you very much, sir. All right, thank you very much. Uh, now we're going to go on uh, to Randy. Uh, hello, Randy. How are you doing? Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. I want to ask you about, uh, you know, I've had to bring in my bougainvilleas, you know, from from the weather. But I've got three of them that are in hanging baskets that have outgrown the hanging baskets. And I want to know uh, about when's a good time to repot those in the bigger baskets and then some tips on, on repotting a plant. Mm-hmm. Randy, in general, do you leave those out over winter or are you bringing them in? No, I bring them in. I actually put them under a... Uh, uh, you know, a lamp in the garage there. When you know, I'll, I'll I'll stick them out when it gets warmer. I'll just keep dragging them outside. But you know, that freezing, okay. I'll bring them in and then stick them out and then bring them in. You know, and just kind of do it like that. But I do keep them under a light along with my hibiscus and uh, they flower all, all throughout the winter uh, okay. because of that light. But I really need to I really need to put them in a, in a you know in a bigger and a better basket. You know, I just bought them in the ones that came in and they're starting to you know weather weather and fall apart and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, bougainvillea, because they're so cold sensitive, uh, it's good that you're bringing them in. I would, um, what, I, what I would suggest is if, you, if they're okay inside now and it, it's not like the giant plants are just cumbersome to deal with, uh, I would leave them alone. And then uh, when it starts to warm up, I say get into March or so, uh, then cut them, cut them back if you want to cut them back and take them outside. There's nothing wrong with cutting them back now, but because you're bringing them in, they're still in an active growth state. Uh, you know, it's one thing to cut the dead growth on a bougainvillea off. Uh, that's not a stimulating thing to do. But if you cut into live growth on any plant, and then we have some warm weather, it's gonna to try to send out shoots. So sounds like with your routine, Randy, you, you can protect those new shoots, but I, I don't know that I would wanna encourage that uh, and then, you know, be worried about that all winter. Yeah. What about, um, you know, I'm wanting to repot them though. When's a good time to do that? Uh, I would wait until the spring uh, to do it. it there's okay. nothing wrong with doing it now. Um, but it just, when I say wait until spring, I don't mean after they have new growth. I mean, when it, you're getting ready to put them out, uh, then I would go ahead and, and repot them. But there's no reason you couldn't do it a little earlier like now. Okay. Okay. So, and then is there any tips to, to repotting the things you should be careful of doing or, or is it just basically just put in some good potting fall and then yeah. pack them in? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, let me ask you something. How do yours bloom for you? Are you getting good bloom from them or are they a little reluctant to bloom? Uh, you know, with the bougainvillea, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it's tricky in that, you know, I, I talked to someone who does these a lot mm -hmm. and, um, you had uh, you had some you know a couple of teaspoons of fertilizer, you know mm -hmm. every couple three weeks and they and they'll just bloom, you know like crazy. And then you know this is when in the growing season and then all of a sudden they they lose them all, you know and then you know, the flowers fall off, mm -hmm. fertilize them again and boom they come out again you know. So okay. as long as they're in the sun they 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 just it seems to be this is what they do they'll lose them and they always have the green. Yeah, uh, you know, green leaves and stuff. It's just blooming. You know, it's just like I think it's when you add the fertilizer to them. You know, and then there's a special fertilizer for them, bougainvillea fertilizer, right. well, all flowers, fine. But yeah, we we get uh, I get questions through the year, uh, year to year, from people about their bougainvilleas won't bloom, and some people they do just fine for. And so I'm always kind of curious how how they're doing for you. As far as repotting, uh, they do better if they're a little bit pot bound. And so I wouldn't move up too much in pot size. I would maybe okay. go to the next next size up uh, because you somehow being a little more pot bound seems to be helpful for them if you're able to keep them watered and fertilized as needed. So okay, that that would be okay. the only thought I would have. Okay, and that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm just getting a more uh, you know constr a better constructed pot than the ones that you know that, that the nursery sells you. You know because those kind of just kind of fall apart. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. after time, I'm just getting yes. you know a little better built one. I will say about the blooming, the ones that are in the direct sun for most part of the day, you know, mm -hmm. almost if not all the day, those yeah. seem to uh, really bloom. You know, yes. compared to the ones that get a little more shade in the day. Right. Uh, so if you know, somebody's having little problems, I've always noticed the ones in the sun really take off and 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 keep that blooming action going all throughout the growing season. So. That's what I'm well, good. All right. Well, good. They're, they're fun plants, and they're certainly beautiful when they're blooming. 
They are, and in California, they grow like gigantic trees. So I mean, I know a lot different, a lot different than the ones we have here. Okay, thank yeah, you. All right, Randy, thank you for okay. the call. If you'd like to give us a call, our number is eight four five five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine, or email garden success at tamu.edu. Let's now go to talk to John. Hey, John. Good morning. Uh, of course, due to the cold weather, uh, the salvia, we, we have lots of salvia just grows wild here. and uh, uh, But it it's all browned out. And also fire spike, the same. Do we just cut them back to the ground now or what? Uh, yeah, we, we were just talking about uh, the similar kind of thing with different plants a minute ago that, you know, with these plants that are going to die back to the ground from the freeze, if you don't mind the aesthetics, you can just leave them. And then in, I would say, maybe early February, go ahead and cut them back when we're getting a little closer to the new year. But for aesthetic reasons, I just cut mine all back, even plants that haven't fully died back. Uh, but if you've got, uh, for example, um, Trying to think of a, a good, well, the red bird of paradise or pride of Barbados is one that sometimes doesn't die fully back. And the, the um, Duranta uh, is another one that's beautiful, but doesn't always die all the way back. Uh, Esperanza, the yellow bells that don't always die all the way back. I'm going to cut those back anyway. So I have lots of new fresh growth and it's not a scraggly looking plant where some parts died and some parts didn't. But on that kind of pruning, John, I wait until we're pretty much done with frost almost because they're gonna regrow in response to that pruning. You're cutting back into living wood and the temperatures are gonna get warmer and warmer. So uh, the fire spike, your fire spike probably hadn't died fully back, has it? Oh, it looks pretty pitiful. It's, it's pretty pretty brown. Okay. Uh, really dark green black almost. Okay, yeah. Well. You know, there's not a black and white answer on this one, so I guess you can do as you wish. Uh, I, my experience is that sometimes there's some living green down in there, too. But, uh, yeah, nothing wrong with going ahead and cutting them back. Okay, what is your own on, on mulch? Uh, two easy sources are, are and, and economical to me anyway, are the, are the Madisonville mushroom mulch, are the, are the hardwood that there's a, you know, a place out on University Drive uh, West where they they mulch hardwood or trees anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, which of those would be the preferable as far as nutritionally and for the good of the soil? Would mm -hmm. John, are you going to want to mix it into the soil or want to put it on just on top, a blanket of mulch? Well, I would put it on top now. Mm -hmm. and, and then and then till it in in the before I do any work on the beds in the spring. Okay. Uh, I would stay away from the woody, chunkier stuff if you're going to mix it in, unless it's been really well composted. And generally, when it's sitting there, you got a lot of dry wood on top that just isn't going to compost because it's not staying moist. Uh, whatever contacts the soil will continue to compost down underneath. Uh, so it's it's almost like there's mulch that's mulching your mulch and keeping it wet and making it decompose. That's how the forest floor works. You know, the leaves fall down, hit the ground, and then other leaves cover them up. And once they get covered and stay moist, they start to really rot fast. 
and that's what makes such great soil. I, I would I, I would probably use the wood chip more as a surface mulch and leave it uh, 12 months out of the year, and when it gets thin, just add more to the top. But if you want to mix something into the soil, I would go to something that's much smaller particle size, more composted. And you mentioned Madisonville. I love Madisonville mulch, but oh my goodness, when you get fresh in, uh, you run your neighbors off. It's a, <laughs> it's got a little bit of an odor to it. So that well, would be my, the only. My advantage, my advantage is I don't have any neighbors. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you know that maybe that'll keep the deer off your property. I don't know. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, it's fine. It, it, but I would probably just go ahead and mix it in. If you plan on eventually mixing it in, I would mix it in when you when you put it down, because that gives it several weeks, quite a few weeks before the growing season starts and it will further decompose and, and be ready to go at that time. Okay, I, that that's probably even more convenient anyway, so I, I think I'll Okay. It. Yeah, it's, it, there's really not a one-size-fits-all when you want a soil amendment and a mulch, because those are really two different things. Well, I, I did a little, uh, oh, oh kind of experimental fertilizing in in a couple of beds this year, and and I did notice uh, quite a bit of difference in the in the growth of the same kind of a plant, whether where it was uh, more more fertilized than not, or mm -hmm. less fertilized. It made a big difference. Okay, well, good. Uh, it's always fun to experiment. I, I learn a lot that way <laughs> through the. Process of trying different things out to see how they're going to do. And your milkweeds, it's time to cut that back. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, mine's all kind of frozen back, but I still have some green that's healthy and out there. But you know that issue with the microbe that can make the butterfly larva sick when they feed on a plant that hasn't been cut back. In other words, it's been months and months and months of. Um, growing and microbe on the surface. I, I don't know that that's a black and white issue in terms of doesn't mean your milkweed is filled with monarch diseases, but it just a better practice to go ahead and cut it back. It, it comes back pretty early in the spring too. So it, it does. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, it's um, our native milkweeds, they die back anyway. And so they're not the issue. It's the tropical or sometimes it's called Mexican milkweed, the tall one with the orange and yellow blooms or all yellow blooms, either way. Uh, those, those tend to be semi-hardy here, so they don't always die back fast enough. Okay, well, I appreciate the help. Thank you much. All right, well, have fun out there. Our, our phone number is 845 5689 845 5689 or by email at garden success at tamu.edu. And uh, let's see, we had uh, had an email from Bob, and he was referring back to um, a uh, previous broadcast where I talked about um, uh, a place to get inexpensive red cedar seedlings instead of using more expensive junipers for creating hedgerows. 
And so I'd like to comment on that a little bit. Uh, number one, as far as, before I forget, if, if you are interested in the source, Bob, or someone else, if you'll email me at the AgriLife Extension Office, uh, I can send you a couple of sources. And what these sources are is they're, they're more of a conservation bundle kind of plant uh, where you're buying little either bare root uh, seedlings uh, be you know at least a couple feet tall probably, but uh, they're bundled together, or maybe you're buying a little rooted uh, container that is is very small, you know, four inch pot kind of size or smaller, uh, and they're just a lot more economical. Uh, when you go to the garden center and you buy a tree, you pay a lot more for that. And uh, red cedar is just not a a common. Um, plant that you find in garden centers. It's it's native here uh, and it, it does super well here. I mean, look around how they survive through the years of droughts and all the other things, uh, including last winter's freeze. So it's a good plant. It makes a good screen plant, uh, but it does eventually grow up into a pretty good sized tree. We have some really large red cedar trees uh, around the Bryan College Station area, Brazos Valley. Uh, but uh, if you have a property and you wanted to line uh, the road and maybe block a view or something, uh, I think red, eastern red cedar is a good choice for that. Uh, but again, to go and buy 200 of them, if you could even find them in containers, uh, would be cost prohibitive. But by buying the uh, little bundles uh, or the newly, um, you know, new growing small, very small little four inch pot type containers, you can get them a lot cheaper. So you may be paying two bucks for those little pots, or you may be paying, you know, a dollar, dollar fifty even for the, the ones that are larger, but they're bare root. You want to do that now and get them in the ground now so they have time uh, to establish. Because the cost is so low, uh, I encourage people to plant more than you want. Uh, in other words, if you want one every, I don't know, eight feet or whatever the distance is to make a solid hedgerow, uh, I would plant two or three of them uh, every eight feet. Because if they all live, you can always cut one off. And when you cut them off, they die. There's no re-sprouting from the base on a red cedar. Uh, and then if you, that way you sort of hedge your bet for a very low cost. So that, that's what I would recommend. The, the uh, other thing that I like about red cedars is um, they they don't get some of the disease problems that some of our junipers do, and insect problems for that matter. Uh, you may have noticed uh, just a lot of, uh, for some reason, the junipers that we tend to use, the real tall, uh, uh, skinny uh, plants that are used, that people want to have this almost a Mediterranean villa uh, look where there's just stately plants. You get here and bagworms are chomping them up and then uh, there's some diseases of the foliage. Uh, our climate's a little bit on the rainy side for them and so it's easy for diseases to kind of get established. And like I said, when you cut them off, they don't re-sprout. Well, that's also true if bagworms eat all the green foliage off or if a disease kills a section of the plant's foliage, it, it cannot re-sprout from, from dead branches or from brown branches that have no needles on them. Uh, and so you, if it's a small area, maybe it'll eventually close in from the sides as growth from the sides comes in. But uh, it's not a, uh, it, it's a problem. And you put a lot of money in them, you get them real tall and beautiful, and then something like that defaces them so horribly that 
Uh, now what do you do? Do you put a new small one in and hope it catches up someday? Or uh, So as you can see, that I, I just think the eastern red cedar is underutilized. It's also a native plant here. Uh, it does produce the pollen that uh, some people, you know, are have a significant problem with. Uh, over in central Texas where uh, ash juniper, or uh, it's a, essentially almost the same as eastern red cedar, uh, but, but it's different. Uh, the, the, um, uh, they cause a lot of cedar fever and that's a big problem. Uh, they're already here through nature and putting a few in I don't think is going to make any appreciable difference because that pollen is going all over the place. It's not just like if you put one by your house the pollen falls on you when you walk out the door. It, it's blowing like dust in the wind everywhere. So whether you have one or not there's going to be cedar pollen in the air at that time. Uh, but anyway that would be uh, that would be my suggestion uh, for those plants. Uh, if you do some hedging on them, if you want to do that, you can shape and form a little bit. Uh, and they grow fairly slow, and so uh, they're not going to be a tree uh, overnight. Uh, and, and so that blocking of you, I, th I think they do a good job of that. So anyway, that, that's my opinion of them. Uh, our phone number is 845 5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu gardensuccess at tamu.edu I want to talk about some things going on around town uh, for those of you who are interested in plants uh, our local chapter of the Native Plant Society of Texas which is the Post Oak chapter Good name for a chapter in the Post Oak Belt here. Uh, invites the public to their January meeting and program on Thursday, January 6th, which is today. Uh, and it will be uh, in the evening via Zoom. Uh, it's at 6.30 p.m. There's no cost for that. And today's program, or this evening's program, will be How Native Plants Have Made My Life Way More Exciting by Cheryl Smith Rogers. Uh, if you want more information on that, uh, you always want to have a pen when you're listening to Garden Success, so I hope you have one. Uh, the Zoom link to join in is tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash frog fruit, one word, frog fruit. So if you want to hear about how native plants have made my life way more exciting uh, than tonight, 6.30 p.m. via Zoom, uh, you can attend that meeting, and I think you will thoroughly uh, enjoy it. Uh, next Wednesday, uh, January the 12th, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is having a meeting from 6.30 to 8 on birding Costa Rica, presented by Michael McCloy. Uh, those of you who are interested in birds know that Costa Rica is not just a horticultural paradise, it's a birder's paradise, home to over 900 species in an area that about the size of West Virginia. That's pretty cool. Michael will be discussing some of the, the um, neotropical bird families and habitats, and, and for those of you maybe considering uh, an ecotourism type trip to Costa Rica, uh, he'll uh, provide you some tips on birding in the, the tropics. And this also is a Zoom meeting, and it's a, it's a similar URL. It's tinyurl.com, but then forward slash and northern cardinal. And uh, I'm not sure if there's a sp underspace between northern and cardinal uh, underscore or not, 
It may be one word. It may be two with an, an, un, that underline in between them. You can try it either way to make sure. Or maybe someone who's listening from Rio Brazos Audubon could, could clarify that for me so I don't create confusion out there. Uh, then next Friday, January the 14th, the A&M Garden Club will be meeting at 10.30 a.m. Now, this will be a live, in-person meeting uh, at Peace Lutheran Church, which is on 2101 Rio Grande Boulevard. Uh, actually, it's, it, sits in, it sits alongside Rio Grande and uh, 2818 uh, Harvey Mitchell Parkway. And uh, that will be at 10.30 a.m. And uh, let's see, the... Um, uh, Sarah McReynolds, former president of Texas Garden Clubs, will talk about designing with recycled materials. And if you want more information on that, you can go to amgardenclub.com. No spaces. amgardenclub.com. Uh, on Tuesday the 18th, that will give you a little head start on this one, uh, the Texas A&M Women's Garden Interest Group. We call, they call it the GIG, G-I-G. Uh, at 11.30 to 1.30, Don Maples of the Brazos Valley Orchid Society will talk about his love for orchids and tips on how to cultivate them. Uh, so it's called Orchids for Everyone. And that's also at the same place, Peace Lutheran Church Fellowship Hall. Uh, and that's Tuesday, January 18th, over the noon hour, from 11.30 to 1.30. Uh, for more information, uh, the, the email that you would use, not website, but email is tamugig at gmail.com. So T-A-M-U-G-I-G for Garden Interest Group at gmail.com. I think you will enjoy that as well. If you've um, if you've not tried growing orchids before, you, you really should. And I'm not a, an orchid expert. Uh, you know, I don't have a greenhouse full of orchids or anything like that. I, I like the moth orchid. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple, easy one to grow. It's basically the one you see when you walk in the grocery store and there's all the orchids right there. You have to step over them to get in the store. Uh, that, those are moth orchids. They're easy to grow. They love, they love a, a bathroom with a bright window where there's nice humidity and bright in there. I've got mine growing. I, I even had them outside this summer. Uh, probably a little hot for their opinion, but um, they, they did okay. Mine are producing bloom stalks. And so there are a lot of types of orchids, and some are pretty easy to grow, and some are a little more challenging. Maybe the uh, temperature conditions are a little different and so on. Uh, but the moth orchid is, I guess that's the gateway drug for orchids, in my opinion, the moth orchid, uh, because it's, they're, they're just so easy and they're fun. It's kind of exciting to have one. You know, you buy it with a bloom on it. It's beautiful. Uh, and then you take it home, and eventually that bloom's going to fade. Uh, and then when next year you have them uh, bloom again, yeah, it just, it's a sense of accomplishment, and you really enjoy being able to, to do that. Uh, the, um, those, if you have moth orchids, maybe you bought some this year, uh, you want to go to that meeting and let them tell you how to, how to take care of it. But on mine, I'll put them outside when the temperatures at night are getting in maybe to the upper 50s, uh, you know, low 60s, upper 50s, uh, for about a week or so. And then when I bring them in, uh, they, it, it seems to help them to bloom a little bit, a little bit better. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's orchids. I would encourage you to, to try that. You know, the nice thing about horticulture uh, is that there are so many kinds of plants and so many ways to garden that I really believe it is something for everybody. Maybe you don't want to go out and dig in the soil and make a giant vegetable garden. Like you, if I said 
if I said picture a garden, that's probably what you're going to picture is this big garden, you know, a square bunch of rows or something along those lines. But gardens aren't just that. They're the containers on your patio that may have vegetables or flowers in them. Uh, gardening is is houseplants, uh, in, my, in my opinion, too. And with COVID, oh my gosh, houseplant uh, popularity just went through the roof. And we have all kinds of exciting houseplants that we can grow. Some are a challenge, and some are just easy. Uh, I think I've mentioned before, the Sensevaria, or it's also called Mother-in-Law's Tongue, that is the easiest plant on earth to grow. If you can't grow a Sensevaria, we can't help you, is the saying. Uh, but seriously, it takes low light or high light. It takes uh, drought. It doesn't want drought, but it survives drought. Uh, and it, it just looks good all the time. I mean, they're beautiful. And there are several types, some with yellow stripes in the leaves and other kinds of patterns. But that's an easy one. The ZZ plant, ZZ, two letters, ZZ, is an easy plant to grow. It can also take fairly low light uh, and all the way to fairly bright light. Uh, it can survive without you pampering it with water all the time. In fact, I have one that if you promise not to tell anybody, I abused all last summer uh, with forgetting to water it for days on end. And, and it was outside in the blazing hot weather, of course, in, in, in a semi-shady spot, not direct sun. Uh, but it's looking good. It, it survived it. There are a couple of leaves that are complaining to me, but uh, the rest of it looks pretty good. But houseplants are easy and they're fun. Uh, there's herb gardening. Uh, herbs are just wonderful ways to season our food, all kinds of dishes made with herbs. Some herbs are absolutely beautiful ornamentals. Uh, until the freeze we just had, my pineapple sage was beautiful with red tubular blooms and just a, just a beautiful plant. Uh, the pineapple scented leaves are nice. Uh, but it was it was attractive as an ornamental. Thyme and oregano can be good ground covers around plants. You don't have to make an herb garden to grow herbs. Uh, you can use them in and among other plants uh, as you would. Uh, and then we could just go on and on when it comes to types types of gardening. Uh, you know, orchids and of course we mentioned a nice nice beautiful plant. There's shrubs and trees and. And uh, lots of ways that people garden, uh, even little fairy gardens. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's it's almost like you're creating in a in a wide container, a um, a little miniature scene that looks like a little miniature fairy house with things around. I mean, people that have no more room than one just wide container to sit by and play with. That's a whole other thing uh, that they've come up with. There's terrariums. Uh, the terrariums are a cool way uh, for somebody that maybe all I've got is a desk and put a little light on top of it to get good light to the terrarium. And you can grow your little miniature tropical jungle right there in the terrariums. And African violets is a whole other thing. As you can see, there are just a lot of options in the world of gardening. And I encourage you to try something new that you haven't before, such as an orchid, for example. Uh, so let's, um, let's see. we thinking we had a, a call come in. But our number, oh, we do have. Uh, I don't see that. Okay. Oh, I, I, we got some information on um, the Audubon Society talk for birding in Costa Rica. Uh, I said tinyurl.com slash, and it's Northern Cardinal, and the Northern Cardinal is just one word. There is not uh, uh, any 
There's not any space uh, between the two words, northern and cardinal. Thank you for letting us know that. Uh, other things uh, going on around and about town, uh, there's always the gardens at, at Texas A&M and uh, on campus. They're over um, uh, kind of behind the horticulture building. Uh, you, you can uh, come at them from different angles uh, up there, but on Saturdays it's easier to have parking out there. Of course, during, during school and campus, uh, the lots are restricted, but on Saturdays uh, from the lot that you get into from uh, coming from main campus direction, uh, like you're going along the the uh, basketball arena, uh, you can get into the lot up there nearest the gardens and and not uh, pay spaces or reserve spaces, but you can find uh, places to park. Uh, the gardens change all year, or season to season. Uh, during the holidays, there's lights and and uh, they they evolve the the planting. So even if you've been you just need to go the next season or go again. Uh, students love it as a place to sit and get some work done in a nice environment. Uh, you can bring the kids out there. There's an area where the kids can kind of have a little water pump and fill up a watering can and go water the plants. Uh, and uh, just it, it's just a fun place. You know, during the fall, they have the pumpkin displays and the gourd displays and the gourd tunnel and other things. A little vegetable garden and uh, other things out there. Miniature orchard or miniature orchard and a miniature vineyard. When I say miniature, I mean compared to a, a commercial adventure. Uh, and so there's always something to see, something to do. And I would encourage you to get out and about. Their website is gardens.tamu.edu. Gardens with an S. .tamu.edu. Uh, also, uh, on Saturday, uh, January the 8th, that's just coming up in a couple of days, the De Gallery has their first Saturday art fair, and that's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And so there's uh, professional art, visual artist, uh, there's paintings, uh, sculpture, photography, jewelry, handcrafted items, live music. It's just a regular dog and pony show going out there. Uh, there's treats for sale if you want a cup of coffee or some pastries and things. Uh, but that's the gallery, and you can you can look that up uh, on your maps app uh, as to how to get there. It's over. Um, I'm, now I'm gonna confuse myself and everybody else. I want to say it's off of 29th, but uh, and over toward closer to University Drive. But anyway, you, you can hunt that down. Also on Saturday, January 8th, 15th, and 22nd, three Saturdays, the John Ferry Garden is going to have their open garden days. And if you love to go out and walk through educational gardens, uh, this would be for you. If you love native plants, you definitely have to go there. These are plants that were collected, many of them years ago, and brought from places like Mexico and other environments. Uh, they typically are kind of leaning toward a more Western type of look to the landscape, not exclusively. Uh, but the tours uh, leave on the hour at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. So in January, the next three Saturdays, including two days from now, 18th, 15th, and 22nd, is at the John Ferry Garden, which is down in Hempstead, 2559 FM 359 Road in Hempstead, or you can do a search for it, uh, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., or just 10 a.m. and 11 a.m., excuse me. Uh, you want to 
arrive early so you can sign in. Uh, tickets, if you're a member of the garden, which you can be, by the way, are free. It's 10 bucks for non-members, but it is worth a trip. If you've never been there, you got to go. You need to go check that out. Uh, and their nursery will be open, and that's the website jfgarden.org. J is in John, F is in Frank, garden.org. All right, so I think we'll stop there on announcements. Uh, we'll be making more as we get, you know, kind of closer to some of these uh, events. Our phone number, by the way, if you'd like to give us a call, it's always a better show when we get to talk to you than just listening to me talk. Uh, the phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu. Garden success at tamu.edu. Now, uh, Liz had asked about uh, previous shows, and if you if you want to go and, and listen to previous Garden Success shows, you can go to the KAMU website. If you go and do a search for KAMU FM and then Garden Success. Uh, that probably will get you a little bit closer faster, but you can go to the website and go to the FM part, uh, not the TV, but the FM, and look at the, the shows that are there. And our past shows uh, for recent history are, are posted there where you can listen to them later uh, if you miss one and, and want to go uh, and hear it. So that's nice to be able to have access uh, to that information. Uh, we also, uh, looking uh, at the email, uh, Phyllis had sent a photo of a fungus last year, and I didn't know what it was, uh, and it, she says it's coming back now, and so she sent me a new picture. And uh, it is a type of a shelf fungi. Those are the kind, they don't have the little traditional mushroom-shaped fruiting structures, what, what you would look at and say that's, you know, like a mushroom. Uh, but it, they're the kind that send a little flat shelf out from the wood. Uh, and those can be diseases of plants or they can be decomposer fungi. They're just, they found a dead spot and they've worked their, their mycelia into that inner dead wood and they're, they're decomposing it. Uh, that's why we don't have a mile deep logs in the forest from the eons of, of trees that have lived and died. Uh, it's because something's decomposing those things when they, when they hit the ground. I can't identify this one, Phyllis. Um, I am not a mycologist, and uh, you've probably heard me say online before that uh, when it comes to mushrooms, uh, can I eat them or not, uh, that, that is not something I would ever venture to do uh, because uh, there, there are mushrooms that are very poisonous and then, then those, of course, that are, that are edible. Uh, this particular one is not oak root rot, which is one of the common uh, hardwood type uh, uh, species uh, fungal diseases that we have. Uh, I, there is a disease called Ganoderma. It might be that one. I would have to look a little closer. But, you know, I, I, I guess the actual name of it kind of doesn't matter because uh, if it's something that is a, a, a killer of the tree, that tree is going to die and there's nothing you can do to stop it. If it's something that's just a decomposer, it's not hurting the tree other than decomposing some of that wood. But there's a lot 
of um, decomposer organisms that are going to be doing that anyway. So, you know, take a, a shovel or a hatchet and knock that off the side of it doesn't really accomplish anything. You're just knocking the fruiting body off of something that's living down in the wood uh, of that tree. So I guess, you know, kind of wait and watch it. I'll keep looking around, see if I can come any closer to knowing which of those it is. Uh, my my uh, initial uh, thoughts, though, are uh, wait and see on that particular one. Well, we're, we're in the new year, and this is a time when uh, gardeners start to get gardening fever. And gardening fever is a, um, <laughs> it's, it's both a good and a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing in that it's, it's excitement of a new year and new hope. And, uh, you know, I, the best garden I ever have is the one that's in my mind's eye in January <laughs> before I get out there and start planting uh, and freezes hit and bugs show up and other things like that. Uh, but uh, th this is a time for dreaming and trying and gardening is a year where it's renewal. I think that's part of the therapeutic benefit of it is just the, the way that it's, it's always new. We can try things new. Maybe last year you tried a vegetable garden for the first time and you didn't have success. Uh, well, start again, try again. Sometimes with new soil, it takes a year or so before things mellow out to a point of that soil being um, more um, suitable for those plants uh, that are trying to grow. That's not to say that new soil is never helpful or successful. It's just that sometimes happens. Uh, there's always new varieties. There's always new changes in the year. You know what the I mentioned the weather, but which diseases or insects tend to be worse. Uh, but this is a time of renewal, and one of the best ways that you can start with gardening is by starting to grow your own seedlings. Uh, I've got an article on on uh, tomorrow in the paper about uh, starting seedlings indoors. And uh, the fun thing about seedlings is it. Yeah, we still have freezes to go. We expect to, at least. Uh, and so you're not out planting everything in the garden right now. But you can start that tomato plant or the pepper plant or maybe, um, you know, some other things that you would grow as a transplant. Each of the vegetables takes a different amount of time to reach transplanting stage for Peppers and tomatoes and eggplants, we think about mm, six weeks, could be eight weeks, depending on how they're growing and how big you want them to be, uh, from seeding indoors to transplanting outdoors. Some things move fast, like uh, uh, squash, for example, or cucumbers. Uh, those, you know, a couple of weeks, and they need to move out and get into the garden. Uh, but you, you can go to stores and purchase uh, containers for growing, there's little flats, they have a clear plastic dome over them, and they will um, uh, be like a mini greenhouse for those, those seedlings. Uh, and uh, you can also do it on the cheap. Uh, anything that holds moisture and drains is, is a good plant growing container, pretty much, if it's large enough. And for seedlings, that's pretty small. I've used little Dixie cups, little paper cups waxed paper cups and punched a couple of holes in the bottom and grown in that. Uh, you see people using all kinds of things like they knock the, a hole in the top of an old eggshell and plant in those and I, you know that's novel and interesting but that's not the best way to grow a plant. Uh, I also like paper pots. You can go online and search for uh, paper pots 
and you will see lots of how-to, but basically you take a strip of newspaper and roll it around something that's the size that you want the little pot to be. I usually use some small can, you know, maybe two or three inches across, and uh, those work great. You plant the whole pot and everything uh, in there. Uh, you can get a cookie sheet, put some foil down, and uh, I put the foil in the sheet just to keep standing water and dirt from uh, damaging the cookie sheet. Uh, and then put the whole thing in like a dry cleaner bag, a clear, large bag. And dry cleaner is just a good example. Uh, and that is your little mini greenhouse. It keeps it moist. Stick a few things in the pots here and there to hold the bag up off the soil. Uh, I'll often use like um, the little plastic knives that come in the uh, when you go to fast food and they give you a little set of knife and spoon and fork and napkin, uh, that kind of thing, or a popsicle stick, and it holds it up. Because those seedlings don't do well when you got a wet plastic thing sitting right on them when they try to come out of the ground. Uh, but you can grow a lot that way. Uh, most people have a window bright enough to get by with, with uh, the seedlings. But most of the time, seedling efforts fail and where people fail at trying to grow transplants, it's a light issue. Drainage is important, uh, nutrients are, are somewhat important, uh, but light is where people fail. You put it by a bright window and those plants get spindly and leggy, they, they lean toward the light. And you can turn them every day to try to, you know, get them going back and forth more and upright, but a lack of light is the problem. And it's light intensity and it's light quality. Sunlight is wonderful quality, uh, and the more intensity you can give them, the better uh, for them surviving. But most indoor gardening, uh, if you're going to try to grow just a transplant, not we're not talking about uh, trying to fruit a tomato bush inside. Uh, that's a whole different level of lighting. But just getting a transplant going, if you get two shop lights, and uh, four foot long, and you place them, you know, just a few inches apart over the flat of plants. Actually, you can put a lot of plants under them. Uh, and you get a warm white bul bulb or tube, fluorescent tube, and a cool white fluorescent tube. That gives you a little broader spectrum of light. It's a little better than just having one or the other. And you need to put a fluorescent light down right almost on the plant, like two inches above the plants. I put mine on a little chain or string so that I can lift them up as the plants grow. But there is a, it, it's not intuitive, but there is a huge amount of difference between a fluorescent light tube that's an inch away from the plant and that's four inches away from the plant or eight inches away from the plant. If you're looking at it, you go, my gosh, it's as bright an inch away or eight inches away as it is an inch away and that's not the case uh, and so you, you we already have a light that's not ideal for plants and so we got to give them as much of that as we can and and they do well I've grown plants that that way uh, transplants that way uh, just fine they're not going to be in there forever they're not going to have to go through blooming and fruiting cycles which require uh, a different quality and, and amount of light than just starting a transplant uh, one other thing that I would suggest you do, and, and, and I hope you will try growing some transplants, even if it's just one transplant uh, that you're trying out. Maybe you would like uh, two or three basil plants. Uh, you can grow them starting in the, in the wintertime, uh, and then when it's time to plant them out, you're, 
you have a nice little plant ready to go. And all it cost you was a pack of seeds, uh, maybe a little potting soil. Uh, and the, the, um, the basil, by the way, I'd wait until February to start it. But um, it, it's, it's easy to do, and it's fun to do with the kids. Uh, kids love to be able to grow things. And who knows, maybe if they grow it, they'll consider eating it when, it's, when their baby plant is outside producing squash or cucumbers or tomatoes or something along those lines. Um, so quality of light is important. Now, there are LED lights that are super, uh, they can get very expensive or they can be very cheap. And some of the very cheap ones, you get what you pay for, and they're not that great to have. I use a couple of LED lights. One of them I like, one of them I don't. Um, but that that's also an option. And I know with the folks listening, there's some of you that are not going to grow a transplant. There's some that will try. And then there's some that this hobby has become addictive and you are just turning one of your whole rooms in the house into a plant nursery, right? Uh, so you're, you guys listening are coming from all kinds of perspectives. But I think everybody ought to at least try it. Try it once. It's, it's fun to do. And it, it's, it's fun to go to a garden center and buy a transplant. And I, I encourage you to do that. I do it all the time. But if you want something that is new or very, very different, it's probably not, has not reached the, the general garden center level yet. Like the latest variety of a tomato, for example. Uh, there are some old standards and a few uh, others, and some of our local folks are producing a wide range of options. Uh, but on, I'm always wanting something different. And um, I'll say more about that in a minute, but uh, it's, it, the best way to have the latest greatest is to grow them yourself and uh, you can ask your garden center if they will try to carry them next year but uh, trying to get supply of some of these things is difficult and and so there's a reason that uh, all of that is just not for sale every year ma mainly because it's new and it's not in the in the supply line um, but talking about trying something new uh, if you're a gardener and you grow tomatoes, you probably have your favorites that you like to grow. Uh, Celebrity is a good example. It's been around, gosh, I don't know how long, a long time. But it is a good all-around tomato. In fact, they made it a Texas superstar. AgriLife Extension made it a Texas superstar. Uh, and it's a good dependable. But every year, I'm going to grow two or three tomatoes that I've never even heard of or never grown before. And it's fun to experiment. And it also kind of hedges your bet. Because you just never know, uh, different things can happen, and and uh, what did good one year may not do good the next year. Uh, but in using tomatoes as an example, with tomatoes we've got uh, the slicer types, the big you know hamburger tomatoes. We've got the small cherry types. We have grape tomatoes, which is basically an oblong cherry tomato. Uh, and then there's even little saladette tomatoes. They're going to be just under the size of a golf ball or something that, or maybe the size of a golf ball. Well, let's go back to the phones one more time. We're, we're almost out of time, but we're going to talk to John. Uh, and how's it going now, John? That's fine. You probably already said it, and I just missed it, but on the, on the tomatoes uh, starting in, in the greenhouse, uh, when would you mm -hmm. start those? I start, well, I start mine in early January. And that's probably more time than most people would need. But I like to grow mine up and then move them, you know, from a four-inch pot into a gallon pot. By the time the frost danger has passed enough to be safe to go outside, uh, I've already got a pretty large plant that may even be blooming already. 
And, and I know most folks aren't going to want to go through that. But just think about six weeks. So we're probably going to put those tomatoes out in um, maybe the second week of March, give or take a week or so. And so if you started those February 1st, that would be okay. Uh, but I, I like to go a little bit earlier. Only uh, the starting for transplants, can you do that with the Chinese long bean or beans in, in general? You know, I've never tried that with beans. You know, generally with beans, we're planting so many plants down the row that it's unlike a tomato or a pepper that trying to grow all those as transplants is difficult. If you just are going to do a few, I think you can. I would just be careful that they're not in the container too long and that you use a larger container. You know, the little six packs that you get your tomatoes in at the store, right. uh, that would that would be too small of a container to grow a bean for very long. I mean, it would sprout in there, but uh, it would get stressed pretty quick. Okay. Well, that, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. And have fun. Have you ever grown long beans before? I do. I, I try almost every year. I, I, they're the yeah. most prolific, uh, good-tasting, hard-to-mess. I mean, they're, they're right. Well, yeah, and for the, those folks that are listening, uh, you know, we, we call things beans that are peas and things peas that are beans sometimes, but uh, Chinese long bean is actually more related to a black-eyed pea than it is a pinto bean. So. But, but it, I mean, if you pick them, I mean, they'll get three plus feet long uh yes. but, you know if you, you get them when they're yeah. like two feet long they're they're tender and juicy and really really delicious to eat they they are they are i'm glad you're growing them somebody else needs to try doing that give, give us I, a report by the way when you when they get them this year is how they did okay i well we had them this year and they, they did fine we we try to do it every year good that's good. Well, the, the, when you choose things like that, uh, they would rather be in Calcutta than in some other happy climate. <laughs> so when we get our hot, humid Brazos Valley summers, they are just as happy as they could be. That is absolutely <laughs> true, and they're very forgiving and and, uh, and prolific. They just—I mean, you—you you can go out every other. If you don't go out every other day, you're going to miss some. I mean, they're going to go past where you want. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, thanks for calling, John, and and I wish you luck with those. Thank you. Yes, sir. Well, uh, let's see. I believe we're about done here. We're going to go out with uh, just the information that if you have questions during the week, feel free to email us. You can call us at the AgriLife Extension Office. Uh, And uh, we want to invite you to tell your friends about Garden Success Radio on Thursdays. Uh, Even if they don't live here, they can listen online. And uh, we do have a lot of folks that listen online from different places. Uh, We enjoy answering your gardening questions and hope that you have a successful spring gardening season. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.